The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. All right, y'all take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 22, and uh, we're also going to look in Ephesians chapter 6, Proverbs 22 and Ephesians 6. I want to really get practical this morning, y'all going home, and uh, we've already had some guys leave, had to get back to church and, and home churches, but I really want to leave you. We've, we've hammered you pretty good with some hard, aggressive preaching, and, uh, but you can handle it, and, and uh, we want it try to end the weekend on a really practical note. I want to get real practical and give you some, some hands on stuff that you can do when you go home. Um, I, I do want to go back to one thing from yesterday that, uh, that, I, that Gar said yesterday morning that, and I mentioned it last night, but I want to, I want to bring this back up. And that is, I talk to a lot of guys. I, I, I find myself in a lot of counseling situations where I'm talking to young dudes, old dudes, middle-aged dudes, guys that have made mistakes in their marriage and and then they feel like the Lord's dealing with them and so they 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 repent or confess or go to their wife and they say I'm really sorry for what I've done and they expect her to just immediately be like think you're a stud like if she still don't want to have sex with you it's because you're a jerk for 10 years maybe and like one momentary conversation where you apologize may not be enough for you to prove to her or for the Lord to prove to her through the change in your life that, man, this is a real deal. It may take some time, man. And I've guys, I'll talk to guys and they'll say, man, I don't know what she wants from me. I did this or I did that or I told her I'm sorry or I've, I've started going to church. Listen, are you willing to submit your life to Jesus, which means right now and for the next however long he gives you life on this earth, you're going to obey and follow him. And whether she ever accepts that or not, that ain't about you. That's about her and Jesus. What you're responsible for is you and Jesus, and what he wants you to do is love and honor your wife. And so there needs to be a consistent pattern where you walk in humility, you walk in grace, you grow in grace, you extend that grace to her. That needs to happen. So it was a real, it was a real defining moment yesterday when, when Gar and, and his message yesterday morning when he said, there wasn't like a breakthrough moment where his wife said, oh, man, this is great. You're the best. But there was a, about a year and a half progression where his consistency and faithfulness with the Lord became evident to her. And, that, and they're still not out of the woods, man. If you sit down and talk to him or any, any, other, any man, they'll tell you it's not like there's going to be a point in your marriage where it's going to be like a fairy tale. You know, fairy tales are make-believe for a reason. Like, that's the whole idea, is this world ain't real. I was, my favorite, all-time favorite television show will always be Reigning Champ, and if you disagree, you are wrong, is Andy Griffith's show. <laughs> like, I, like, I love it. It's the best, man. And I, my middle daughter, my middle daughter, who is my middle child of five, I got three girls and two boys, and my middle daughter, um, she is homeschooled. All my other kids are in public school. All four of my other kids are in public school. She's homeschooled, which is a point we'll make this morning about understanding each of your kids in unique situations. They're not all the same. And uh, 
I mean, she's awesome, man, and, and so she can stay up a little later at night uh, than the others, and so our routine is about three nights a week. We watch Andy Griffith's show, and, uh, and I love it. I just love watching it, but I was watching, um, I was watching a, an interview with Andy Griffith from, this was from sometime in the mid to late 90s, so, you know, 30 years after the show had gone off the air, and somebody asked him, they said, now, w- we've heard that this was based on your hometown, which he's from Mount Airy, North Carolina. And uh, he said, no, this ain't based on my hometown. He said, there ain't no town like Mayberry. There never has been. It's a mythical place. That type of place doesn't exist where people work their problems out in the day, where the town drunk is like a favorite, you know, of everybody, you know, like where, where I mean, it's like, but we, we're drawn to the mythical. We're drawn to the, and even as adults, we're drawn to fairy tales, you know, like, and, and, but your marriage is not a fairy tale, and it never will be. It's a, it's a, it's a war zone. It's a place of hard work where the ground's got to be tilled. It's a place where consistency over a long period of time has to be evident. And so you've got to settle in for the long, the long, long, long haul. And, and if God's done a work in your heart this weekend, and you go home and you feel like, man, I'm changed, and you see it first, it may take her some time to come around. It may take her a long time to come around, and she may not come around, but your commitment is to her and to Jesus, and it's a covenant commitment, and Jesus don't go back on his word. He don't expect us to go back on ours, and so some of us got to roll our sleeves up and with our hats in our hands go to our wives and say, all right, I'm telling you today that I'm sorry. I remember one of the most pivotal moments in my marriage where I went to Little and said, we've been married about five years. We've been married, I've been married uh, 24, going on 24 years, so we've been married about five or six years. I remember going to her and saying, I've, man, I've been, a, I'm not going to tell you what I said, but I, like I've, I've been bad, and but and I want to tell you I'm sorry, but I'm not expecting you to accept an apology right now. I want you to give me time over the next several months, and and as long as it takes years if necessary, to let the Lord shape me into the man that He wants me to be. And and it, and she was like, well, good, because I ain't like I ain't ready to just say, all right, you're you're great, you know, like it's going to take time. And so that was I think that was that was a big takeaway from the weekend yesterday morning. Um, so, and then the other thing was, man, just like being, listening to 300, 250, 300 dudes this morning sing praise to Jesus. Man, I was like, we, we could be done right here, you know. We didn't have church. We'd go to the house. We'd go to the house, except, except I want to preach. But, <laughs> um, and uh, so that was awesome. And then uh, the other thing is all of these sessions, well, not Alan Kay's session, but all of the main sessions, this is the fourth main session, have been streamed live on Facebook Live. Some of you probably are aware of that. Um, so welcome if you're watching from Facebook Nation or whatever, um, Facebook Global. Uh, but that, that stuff will stay posted, so you'll have access to the videos of these sessions if you want to go back and watch through and take notes or whatever. That stuff will be available. Okay, so let's get to work. See what time we got here. All right, let's dig in. Proverbs uh, chapter 22, verse 6, and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I ask the blessing uh, on the reading, preaching, and hearing of your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak through me and that you would do the work this morning. And uh, I pray that you would be exalted, Lord Jesus, and that we would become better husbands, fathers, friends, mentors, church leaders, community investors, and granddaddies. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the, the sort of the driving focus of coming into the weekend was being spiritual fathers. And so what we're talking about is becoming men who are investing in younger men. Or if you're on the younger side, because we've got some young guys here, some young, young men, uh, teenage uh, young men that are here. And so for you guys, look into the examples of older men and learning from them. And I want to tell you right up front that if you had a father who was a failure, that does not give you the excuse to be a failure. Because the Lord is ultimately your example of what a father is supposed to be. If your father didn't show you how to, how to lead a home and he didn't love his wife well and you feel the effects of that, you can be entitled and you can say, well, I don't have a chance because I didn't have an example and so I, poor me. Or you can say, no, you know what? The Lord will redeem in my, like the generation that I begin with here and going forward will be a legacy of godliness. And so a lot of men are in the habit of making excuses because of things that happened when they were children, whether it was abuse or neglect or whatever, or because they had dads that didn't do a good job. And so we, we kind of use that as a crutch and we say, well, I didn't have an example. Well, you do have an example. You have an example of what a husband's supposed to be and the way Christ loves the church. And you have an example of what a father's supposed to be and the way we watch God the Father and God the Son in their relationship. And then how that overflows to us as sons because we've been made co-heirs with Christ or sons of God with Christ. Now, the Scripture says that we're like that Jesus is the firstborn, but then we're brought into that firstborn relationship. And the reason that we're called firstborn sons and not just sons of God or children of God, though we're called that at times, but there's specific designation that we're like firstborn sons of God is because firstborn sons in the Roman Greco and Hebrew culture, those, those were the ones who received the full blessing of the Father. They received all of the inheritance. And Scripture says in First Peter, chapter one, that we've been given an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and kept in heaven for us. And so as sons of God, we've got this inheritance that awaits for us. And so we don't have an excuse based on what our earthly fathers did or didn't do. Now, if you had a godly earthly father that you could learn from, praise the Lord from that, for that and learn from that and grow in that. If you had an earthly father who failed miserably, learn from that, praise the Lord for that and change course. Like you can do that with the, with the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so as you move into this idea of being a spiritual father, for some of you, what this is going to look like is maybe you're older in life and your kids are grown and you, you, you did a good job or you didn't do a good job or somewhere in between. But never get into a point in your life where you're not investing into younger men. Because in the body of Christ, God has designed us to work in such a way that men raise men. That we invest in younger men. When you have a society or a culture where women are raising men, everything gets upside down. And we're seeing the effects of that in our generation and our culture today. And so men need to invest in men. And if your sons and daughters are grown, then invest in other young men. Don't get, when you're 80 years old, you should still be investing in young men. Maybe those young men are teenagers. Maybe they're young dads. Maybe they're middle-aged dads. But all along the spectrum, the age range of humanity Men should be, investing, should be investing in younger men. And so younger men can be investing in mentoring in, in young boys. If you're, a, if you're a young married dude and you don't have kids yet, listen, if you're a young married guy and you don't have kids or you have small kids, get involved in a student ministry at your church and invest in young men. There are dudes in your church, young guys, we deal with 9,000 of them a year here, teenagers, that need some young godly dude to invest in them. And so that's our responsibility. And then, and then primarily, if you're a father, at any point 
like on the, along the line of being a father. You got your first newborn child or a two, three-year-old kid and you're just getting started. Or you're a granddaddy or a great-granddaddy. There are principles that we, need to, that we need to live by in terms of how we invest in our posterity or in those that, that we get to live to watch grow to maturity. And so that's what our text this morning is going to help us do. So he says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. We learn from secular psychology that there are about three phases of a kid's li- of, of a person's life in their development over the course of time whereby uh, like they need investment from a father or a father figure so there are three phases the first phase takes place from about the time of from birth to about the time of eight to nine years old maybe ten years old so birth to about eight to ten right in there and that's what secular psychologists and sociologists will refer to as the cop phase. The cop phase. This is the phase of life where you need to be teaching, as a, like, like teaching the law to your kid. And we know, you know what this is like if you if you've have raised or are raising a toddler, especially if it's a little boy. There's a strong will. There's a stern nature. They want their way, and they want their way like right now. And in that phase of life. Your job is to break their will and, te- listen, teach them how to submit their will to a higher authority. Not abusively, but teach. See, when we teach, we're, remu- we're removing the idea of abuse. So it's not I'm going to beat it out of them. It's I'm going to mold, bend, shape, and teach them. In fact, there is some idea in the, in the text in Proverbs 22 that in the Hebrew language, the wording that's used here had to do with the way a bow would be shaped from a from a, a raw piece of lumber, which typically a bow would be built from a small tree, a sap, a, a large sapling, a small tree. That's what that's what the the bow would be carved out of, and so the tree would be studied, the bent of the tree would be studied, and then the bow would be shaped. And bows had different. There were long range bows, there were short range bows, there were really long bows, there were shorter bows, compact for carrying on horses. And so there seems to be some some terminology that that would say you need to be studying that child figure how they're bent, and then shape them so that their will and their spirit is submitted to authority. Because ultimately, if they're going to come to faith in Jesus, they have to submit to the authority of Jesus. And so your job is to teach them to submit. It is not cute when your three-year-old is defiant towards his mother. It is not cute when your five-year-old child doesn't come to you when you say, come here. That's not cute. That's a problem that's going to get a lot worse real soon so like if you're speaking to a to your to your to your four or five year old kid and you say hey come here come here come here like, listen i'm telling you i'm telling you and you're in this like I've, i watch this all the time and the kid's like doody doody do just not paying attention you got a problem you better get that under control because what that child is doing is not submitting to the voice of authority well the christian life is all about you submitting to the voice of authority the voice of God in Scripture, the voice of God by Spirit, the voice of God in our lives. Like every day, we've got to submit to that. And so that's the cop phase. I'm teaching my child right from wrong, submit to authority. Sometimes that's when I'm going to say, because I said so. Because you don't have the mental capacity for me to break this down for you. Other times, I'm going to start to explain to them why something's happening. So that's the cop phase. If I do that right, then what's going to happen is the next transition is going to be somewhere between 8 to 10 right in there, they're going to transition into the next phase, which is the coach phase. This is where I'm no longer just a law enforcer, but where I start to instruct in a way that that the relationship starts to shape differently. 
It starts to change. It's so I'm like a coach to that child. And so I'm teaching and coaching and instructing. If you played sports and you had a coach, and some of you are coaches, you know what this looks like. There's an authority in that coach's position. I know if the coaches I played for, there was a lot of authority. There was a lot of tobacco, a lot of swearing and cussing, a lot of authority, but I knew they loved me. Like I knew they cared about me. And so there's still, it's still not like we're buddy-buddy, and I tell him, and I tell him what for, and I say it like it is. Like there's, there's an authority there, and he's, but there's a difference in that relationship. And so that's going to take place starting somewhere between 10 and 12 and probably last through the teenage years, through the teenage years. And then if I do that properly, then starting about 17, 18, maybe 19, 20, I di- and, and for some kids earlier, 15, 16, we're going to move towards a phase that's going to last for the rest of our lives together, and that's the counselor phase. That's where I become the counselor, the instructor. That's where hopefully I'm going to sit down one day and have conversations with my son about raising his son. You know, that's, that's the counselor phase. And so that's what we're striving towards. So you, if you're a dad, you're somewhere on that line right now. If you're, a, if you're a 60-year-old dad with 30-year-old kids, you're in that counselor phase of life. And you're saying, well, I blew the first two. Don't give up. Trust the Lord and apply biblical principles. And the Lord restore that relationship. And you'll have investment in your in your adult sons and daughters' lives. It's really important. And so if we can get that, if we can sort of get those things in line, get those things in order, then what's going to happen is God's going to bless basically every phase of our lives as parents, as dads, and then, he, and then our kids are going to reap the benefit of that. Our sons and daughters will reap the benefit of that. Our grandsons and granddaughters, great-grandsons and great-granddaughters will reap the benefit of that. It's a really, really awesome idea. Now, what you cannot do, and what oftentimes people do, is they try to play the role of counselor in first. They make suggestions to that small child, or they, they think it's cute when that small child might be defiant or disobedient, or when that child chooses not to listen and has selective hearing. Listen, your kid, selective hearing, I found out this past year, is a real thing. So I've got this four-year-old, and, and about... Eight months ago, we, we're, we're convinced he's got hearing issues. I'm dead serious. We're convinced. He can't hear. Maybe it's a year ago. He might have been somewhere in his three-year-old year. And my wife's like, we, little said, we got to get him to a doctor. So we take him to the, we take him to the pediatrician. We're like, there's something going on with his hearing. And she said, okay. She did some little tests. She said, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. And so she sets us up to go to an ear doctor, like not just an eye, ear, ear, nose, throat, not one of those guys, like a hearing dude, okay? So we drive his kid two hours and put him in this thing where they put him through all these tests, and the doctor comes out, and here's his diagnosis. He has selective hearing. I said, so that's a thing? He said, oh, yeah, that's a real thing. Your son hears perfectly fine, crystal clear. He just don't want to listen to you. I was like, thank you very much. Come on, son. We can deal with this. We can deal with this. That's a real thing. Your kid will... Your kid will ignore you given the opportunity, but it's you that has to give him the opportunity. So you can't take the counselor phase and put it over here and then listen. Then when they're 15, 16, 17, hooked on porn, smoking weed, your daughter walking out the door looking like what one pastor said was a tasty treat, and then you're like, whoa, 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 and you start trying to play cop. That don't work, man. You can't load them up with their own authority, and then when they're 15, 16, 17, or 20, 22, 24, say, whoa, 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 we're going to rein this in. It's not going to work. So we've got to get this right. If you missed the first two, you can't make them up. 
You hear what I'm saying? So if you miss the cop phase, you can't then try to play cop later. You have to figure out how, by the Holy Spirit's leading, can I now invest in this child and play, play the role of coach or counselor, okay? So we're, two, two places that we're going to see how this is done. The first one, I'll look briefly in Luke, in Luke chapter 3 at the baptism of Jesus. You may remember this, uh, the account of, uh, of the baptism of Jesus. It's recorded in, in multiple Gospels. But in Luke's version, Luke chapter 3, verse uh, 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. This is God speaking. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. You're my beloved son with you. I'm well pleased. Pastor Douglas Wilson says there, there are five aspects of the fatherhood of God to consider here. And he says this is the greatest father-son moment in all of history. Five aspects that, of fatherhood that we can learn here, okay? And this is God the father to his adult son. Watch this. Number one, the father was there. He was there. He's there. He's like he's present. Be there. For your wife and your kids be there if you got to work a 60 70 hour a week job and you leave before they're up and you get home exhausted dead tired work it out you're a grown man god ain't put nothing on you that he didn't intend for you to handle like if you're having to work hard and you're tired at the end of the day that's called manhood like welcome some of us have been here a while Okay, so like be there, be there, be like be present. Like when you get home, take time with each person in your family. Just be there, okay? The second thing is the father made his presence felt. So he's not, so my dad was there. And some of you would, this was kind of like previous generations. This was pretty common. Like he's there and he's paying the bills and he's doing his thing. But oftentimes men will be there but they don't make their presence felt they're checked out they're they're working while they're home they're connected to i don't have my phone but the, they're connected to this all the time but I just, just, just sitting in a ball game recently and i'm watching a teenage girl talk to her dad while he's doing this and i'm like i'm nosy so i'll get i walk over because he's not paying her any attention and i look see what he's looking at it's like facebook or some garbage i wanted to just kick that phone like I, I, y'all know what it's like to be in the flesh you know i want to kick that phone so hard i want to kick it and smack him in the back of the head like what are you doing what are you doing you're you're here but you she ain't feeling your presence right now so be there make your presence felt number three the father made his presence known by speaking he was verbal he communicated men are <laughs> we're really bad communicators like, like naturally. So we got to work at this. So make my presence known by speaking. So God's speaking. He's communicating. Number four, he expressed love for the son. So expressions of love are critical. I love you. It's, it, there's, like, it's unqualified, unquantified love. It's just, it's intrinsic. I love you not because of something in you that you're doing for me. I love you because of something in me that's springing out toward you. Like it's love that's not based on your merit. Like your ability to earn favor. Like I just love you. So God's, God's displaying that. And number five, the father is exp- expressing pleasure in the son. 
expresses pleasure in the Son. This is critical. So when we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we get some clarity on this, and I want to walk through this verse. Now, here's, here's what Ephesians 6, verse 4 says again. Let me read it again. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the verse breaks down like this. One prohibition, one instruction. God keeps it simple for men. One prohibition, one instruction. It ain't that hard. Okay, it's not like 73 things you got to do. It's one prohibition, one instruction. Now, we do want to unpack these and build on them. So here's the prohibition. The prohibition is do not provoke. Do not provoke. So here's some, here's some ideas for how we don't provoke. Here's how we don't provoke sons and daughters to anger. Inconsistency in my own life. If you are inconsistent in your walk with the Lord, if you are inconsistent in your parenting method, if you are inconsistent in your love and grace towards their mother, you will provoke them. Because, listen, think about it. Everything in their world is inconsistent. If you ever talk to teenagers, they are the most inconsistent, fickle human beings alive. Like, as as people get older, they tend to get set in their ways. When they're teenagers, they tend to be all over the place. And so they live in a world of inconsistency, and so they need consistency from their daddy. So inconsistency in your life, particularly in your walk with the Lord, also in your, the way you parent them, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Like don't, don't say you're going to do something, not do it. Even when they're a little bitty, don't say, if you do that, I'm going to spank you. Or if you do that, you're going to, you know, whatever, get in time out or whatever. And then you let them do it three or four times before you start to think about. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Like, be consistent. Be consistent. Let them see your walk with the Lord and consistency there. This is where you need to be in church, man. You need to have your family in church. Church is God's design. It's God's plan. It's like, like people all the time, like, I just feel like, you know, family's more important than... No, church is a big deal. Jesus kind of made it. Like, he calls it his wife. I know my wife's a big deal to me. If somebody's like, ah, brother's wife, she ain't no big deal. She ain't. Like, no, like, that, no, it's not, like, I'm not okay with that. And yet we'll just blow church off like it's nothing. That's the bride of Christ. And so scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't do it. So be in church, have your family in church, be consistent in those areas. Uh, Next, and not provoking our children. Don't take into account the fact that they are kids. You want to provoke them? Just forget that they're kids and expect more from them than is actually reasonable. They're kids. So they're going to act like kids. So like they're going to have goofy haircuts and wear stupid clothes and you're going to think, well, you know what? They'll grow out of that. They'll laugh at it. I look back at pictures of my mullet, and I just laugh, you know? And I think, yeah, I thought that was cool. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> to certain people, you know? <laughs> Failure to express approval over hard-earned accomplishments. Now, that would be a hard-earned accomplishment is what's hard-earned in their mind. Like, man, I worked hard to get that B and that, you know, on that writing assignment, you know, or whatever. And like, express approval. Express approval when they've worked hard. But also, like, if they cut the grass and they do a really poor job, then make them do it right. Then express approval, right? Don't express approval over a bad job. Failure to express approval over hard-earned accomplishments. Failure to express or speak love to them, like we saw in, in the baptism of Jesus. We need to speak and express love to them. They need that. They're needy. They need it. In the formative years of their lives, they need love expressed to them. Next, uh, force my goals for them in life. 
force my goals for them, force those goals on, goals on them in life. Like I need to think about what my goals for them are. I need to have goals for my kids. I need to steer them down those paths. But like, are those goals realistic or are they just goals that I have for them? Like God calls your kid to be a missionary and you're like, no, I want to take over the family, you know, trade or I don't what you know what I'm saying like no I want to go to this school and make this money or do this job or whatever like what what are God's goals for them and then don't force your goals in on top of that ignore his or her dreams or goals like ignore them like ah he's got goals but that'll that'll wear off he wants to be a a, a pianist and I want him to be a football player so it'll he'll come around well maybe he won't but I tell you like <laughs> one of the funniest things my wife and I both we met as, as Division One athletes. And, and this, I've told the story a thousand times, but I remember one of the first things I said to her is we should get married and breed because our offspring will be animals. And she thought it was a good idea. That's when I knew, like, this is a Viking woman. Like, I found the right, you know, like, like we're talking merging of tribes and clans, you know. And I remember I went to meet her daddy who's like, you all know Kahuna, he's like 6'5", 320. And he looked at me and he went, yeah, I think he'll do. That's a true story. And her mom, who's five feet tall and weighs about a buck, said, affirmed it. Like, yeah, yeah, he'll do. Like, he'll do. He'll do? Really? It's <laughs> like talking breeding stock. I was, I was like, you want to slap me on the ham? You know, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Check my teeth. <laughs> and what is going on? But it's so funny because our first child came along, I mean, she's not interested in sports. And it was, now, I ain't gonna lie, it was funny because my wife was a two sport Division I athlete. She was, an, she was the Big South Conference female athlete of the year, her senior year, because she was an uh, All American honorable mention in basketball, and then she led the conference in soccer, women's soccer. Like, she's a freak athlete. And, and I remember my oldest daughter was maybe like five years old, and Little was like, she's playing soccer. I'm like, all right, that's cool. I'm sure this will be fun, you know? Like, the little mob, y'all have seen it, the little mob of kids runs around on Saturday morning, and you're like, I could be fishing. <laughs> Ball kind of squirts out this way and squirts, like, like well, just give it time. They'll, if they want to play, they'll want to play later, okay? It's okay if you say, no, let's do other things on Saturday morning. They'll get over it fast, all right? But I remember we go, and the first day, she's just kind of like out there, and she jogs off the field, and she goes, oh, you have to run a lot. <laughs> and I just, my wife was like, you know, she's like about to stroke out. And, and, but you know what? That's cool. That's co- different goals, man. Di- bent differently. Different. Wi- I, I knew we had, a, like my second girl, my wife put her out there. And I remember the first day she went out, it was the other extreme. In fact, I think if I remember a kid from the other team scores a goal and she runs over and kicks the goal post and starts shaking it, yelling. <laughs> and my wife was like, <laughs> like that, you know. Like, so, like, they're different, right? They're different. They're going to have different goals, different desires, different likes. They ain't the same, man. No two people are the same. And so what I've got to do is not force my goals on them, but figure out how God's bent them and gifted them. Next, make fun or belittle them. Make fun or belittle. Your words carry a lot of weight. That will provoke them. If you make fun of them or you belittle them, that'll provoke them. Okay, so that's the, 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 the prohibition is provocation. Don't provoke. Now, Next, we're going to break down the instruction. He says, so don't provoke them. Uh, he says, don't, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's look at that. Bring them up. So what's, it, what's this look like? Value them. In the Greco-Roman world, they didn't value kids. 
in our society, we don't value kids. Ours is really warped because we killed what Gar's looking up this research yesterday. We killed 60 million of them in the last, you know, half century. But yet, and on, the other, on the other hand, we'll elevate them to where we like almost worship them. So it's really distorted. It's really warped. And so what we've got to do is we've got to have a biblical view of who God intends for children to be in the family structure and the church structure and societal structure. So we don't, we don't, we value them, but we don't idolize them. Don't idolize them. Uh, next, don't live vicariously through them. In bringing them up, I'm, I'm not going to live vicariously through them. Like it's not, like maybe your son's not cut out to be a college baseball player. That'll be all right. That'll be all right. Like don't put that pressure on him. Don't live vicariously through him. Um, We've seen this, you've, you've probably seen this on shows where women doll their little girls up to put them and parade them around in beauty pageants. And you're like, come on, man, let her be a kid. What the heck are you doing? This is crazy. Okay, don't obsess over their achievements. Don't obsess over their physical appearance. Don't bow to their whims and demands. They need a buddy, but they don't only need a buddy, they need a father or a stepdad, a father figure, a mentor. So don't bow to their whims. Don't obsess over their achievements and physical appearance. Like, like, put all, get, get all this stuff in, in the right place. Number three, set an example for them. So don't provoke them. Don't provoke them. Bring them up. Set an example for them. That's part of, part of uh, how we bring them up. Paul tells Timothy to set an example for the people that he's leading. So what are the areas that we set examples for them? Work ethic. Do they need that in this generation? Yeah, man. Listen, you, get, you put a work ethic in your child, and you teach them things like integrity and honesty, they will soar above the mediocrity of their generation. Work ethic, integrity and honesty, respect for law and law enforcement. Now, this is tricky, man, because there's a lot of tension today. I have, I have two black children and three white children. And so as a, as a white man, I've got to go, okay, how do I, I've got to see, because I've always like thought, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not racist. I see the world. I, I want to see the world through everyone's eyes. But I've got black children. I better see the world through the eyes of a black person as a white person. And that would be vice versa if I was black and, and I'd adopted white kids. I've got to, so I've got to see through. Now, that's an extreme example. But I've got to see the world through their eyes and then teach them accordingly. So with the tension that exists culturally and societally between law enforcement and the African-American community, I've got to navigate that for those two kids. That's going to be a big task because I'm white. You see what I'm saying? It's not, there's not going to be many days where as a parent you're like, this is easy, right? Oh, man, this piece of cake, this parenting thing, why do they make such a big deal out of it? It's so easy. Like, never. That's not going to happen. So how do I, like, teach respect and honor for the law? Well, that's my job. I've got to teach them that. So I've got to be careful what I'm saying. I got to be careful what I'm putting on the television, you know, what news sources I'm watching and what kind of venting and ranting and talk shows I'm listening to. You know, like I got to teach them uh, like an appropriate understanding of the law and law enforcement and what God has ordained. I need to teach them how to understand money and stewardship, money and stewardship, how to spend money, how to save money, how to use money, what money's good for. Single parents need to show them how to trust the Lord and the way that you trust God for provision. Like if you're a single dad, trust the Lord and show them. Show them you're a man that lives by faith. Give them a love for the church. We mentioned that earlier. Love for the church. Be relational. Be relational. Express thankfulness. Now I say be relational, not just with them, 
Teach them how to do relationship in the community. Take them along on a business deal. Let them see how you interact, you know, at church and in the workplace. Bring them into conversation. As soon as your son's old enough to look a man in the eyes and shake his hand, bring him into conversation. This is, this is really important. Like, have him sit there. I've, I've had my son, I mean, recently I took my oldest son. I was, I was going to meet with some pastors of a, of a state convention. I was going to speak at an event, and they were to negotiate, not like price, but negotiating like topics and, and, and what date's going to work. It's a couple years out. And so we had meet for lunch. I take my son. I was like, all right, I know this is going to be boring to you. And we're meeting at a sports bar. And I'm like, you're going to want to watch ESPN. I want you to engage the conversation through listening. And he did. But was it fun for him? No. But these are things we need to learn how the world goes around and what relationships look like. Don't covet, but fight materialistic ideas. Don't covet, but fight materialistic ideas. We're wired to covet. We're wired to want stuff. We're wired to try to get that stuff. And our kids, they learn from it. And, and, and because it's hardwired into them, too. That's part of the flesh. Minister together as a family in the community. Mission trips. Prayer life. Together as a family. Minister. Number four, spend intentional time with them. This is easy when they're little. You take your kid for ice cream or a cookie. Ingalls Grocery Store gives free cookies out to little kids. You walk in there, you go up to the deli, they give you a free cookie. I pick my boy up from school. I'm like, hey, man, you want to go get a free cookie? Mm-hmm. Well, that don't work if I take my 17-year-old in there. <laughs> this is my daughter. She'd like a free cookie. You know, she looks 21. It's like, this is weird, okay? So, so like, what, like, it's easy to spend intentional time when they're little, a little tougher. Fellas, let's be honest. It ain't easy talking to a, like a, you know, a Tina, eight, 17, 18, 19-year-old girl, young woman. Like, that's not, that's not always easy. It depends on where we are in a cycle. I ain't trying to be funny. You know what I'm saying? But there's, like, days and in, in, there's days of the month where I'm like, no, we're not going to get coffee today. You know, like, like knowing, like, that's on me. Figuring it out, and we work through that, and we, when we, we spend time together, that's important. Um, and then listen to them, and spend an intentional time with them, listen to them. The teenage years, it's critical. Boys, gossip, body image, pornography, drugs, and it's like heaped on them every day. You need to be listening and communicating and spending time in conversation with them. Number five in bringing them up. Make disciples of them. How do I make a disciple out of my child? Well, I need to discipline effectively, and I need to disciple consistently. Discipline is a part of this. So discipline effectively, disciple consistently. Discipline effectively, disciple consistently. The reason that I have to get these two things right, listen, here's the reason discipline has to be done well. Number one, the reason for doing this effectively is to restore fellowship. When I discipline I'm working to restore fellowship because when that child has offended me as a father, and when I say offended, I don't mean I got my feelings hurt. I mean they broke God's law for their life. They've offended the law. They've offended right from wrong. Then I want to work to restore fellowship. Additionally, I want to reconcile, work towards reconciliation, but I'm never working towards revenge or retribution. I'm not paying them back for what they've done. I'm shaping them more into God's image. So I'm not working to pay them back. So think of it as this should be, like, discipline should be sharp and swift. It should not be, like, dull and aching, okay? Sharp. You ever get hit on the shin? That hurts. If I get hit in the head, I'm immediately just angry, you know? Get hit on the shin, oh. Okay, but usually it's a swift, sharp pain, and you're just kind of like, okay, 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 bear it, bear it, bear it. It's going to kind of subside. 
But have you ever had a legitimate injury that aches day and night for days and weeks? Discipline shouldn't look like that. Discipline looks, look, I've got a knee that pops out. It dislocates. It's done it since like high school sports. And that thing will pop out and it is excruciating. And the only thing that's going to make that pain stop is for me to reduce that dislocation, which all it takes is for me to kick my leg straight like that. And it's a worse pain. But knowing that if I'll go through that, then it's like, oh, okay. There's a little bit of tenderness after that for a day or two, but I'm good. Like that, it's like when that child is out of whack, there's a dislocation in the relationship. You have to reduce that dislocation, which is going to be swift and painful at times, but then it's going to bring healing quickly, okay? So it's not a long, aching, dull thud. Work towards true repentance, then work toward removal of shame and guilt. I want to work that child towards true repentance, then I'll work towards the removal of shame and guilt. So I'm going to bring them to repentance, which means I'm going to put their sin in front of them. Then I'm going to remove that to deal with the shame and guilt that might follow and set them free from the burden of their own sin when they come to repentance. But I got to bring them, I got to work to bring them to repentance. And when they're small, it's a matter of getting them to say, I'm sorry. And the response to I'm sorry is not, it's okay. The response to I'm sorry is I forgive you and I love you. Set them free from that shame and guilt. Keep the list of rules short and keep it simple. Like in the Garden of Eden, where God's like, you can do this, you can eat that, you can eat that, you can eat that, you can name the animals, you can hang out over here, you can, like, but don't do this one thing. See, God, that's the way in God's, like in God's, like the way that he categorizes things, there's much freedom and, and, and minimal restriction. Okay, so we want to teach them to enjoy freedom, but we want to focus on things that matter when it comes to the rules. We want to teach freedom and teach it the correct way. This is important and it's as valuable as imposing prohibitions. Next, I want to teach biblical sexuality. This must be intentional and they need to learn it from you. You need to teach your sons and daughters the birds and the bees. You need to teach them why gender equality is something that God designed but that cannot be redefined by governments. Like man and woman created equal complementarian view of marriage very important each has a role that god has designed the man is to lead the woman is to submit that's not popular in our society but here's what that looks like and i'm not i'm not going to be real worried about what my society thinks about me when i'm obeying my god but i've got to get it right in the right balance and the biblical balance and so i got to teach them these things i got to help them understand why someone who is confused in their sexual orientation just needs the clarity that only Jesus can bring. And we don't need to come down on that person with anger or wrath or condemnation. But we need to understand that they're confused in their identity because their identity is not in Christ. We also then need to be able to teach them that when they start to re-identify themselves as a Christian who is associated with something that's unbiblical, and we say, that's not what God's Word says. I know they're saying they're a Christian, but here's what God's Word says. We've got to walk them through these things and teach them what marriage biblically is supposed to be. One man, one woman, for life. Hard times, easy times, good times. Walk, walking through everything together as man and wife. Like We've got to teach them that. Teach them what, what uh, the enemy's going to do to trick and deceive them. First three chapters of Proverbs is, is, is written in a way where it's like, listen, my son, listen, give, e- give heed, give ear. To, like, listen, take this wisdom. And it's a father speaking to a son about these things. Next, we need to teach them goal setting. Need to teach them goal setting. Give them little goals, teach them to move towards those goals. And in your own life as a husband, father, granddad, mentor, set goals, set relationship goals and move aggressively toward those goals. Set goals and move towards them. Teach biblical manhood and womanhood and teach that complementary view of gender. Now, if we 
let's, let's land the plane, all right? I've been going 40 minutes. You guys are doing good. You're ready to land the plane. Ultimately, what this all boils down to, as a husband and a daddy, your job and my job is to give our wives and sons and daughters Jesus. Give them Jesus. Let them see what it looks like to worship Jesus. Let them see what repentance looks like when you've walked in sin. Let them see the humility of a father who would say, will you forgive me? I was wrong. Let, like one of the things that, that most of us, like a lot of us would probably say, is that we, we never saw, maybe you never saw the example of a godly man literally confess his own wrongdoing and ask forgiveness. Like one of the things that men don't do well is admit when they're wrong. Like, let them see that and give them Jesus. Give them Jesus through your submission to Jesus. Give them Jesus through your worship of Jesus. Give them Jesus through your proclamation of the gospel. Teach them about Jesus. Teach them that he was born of a virgin. He was sinless in every way. He was tempted just as we are. He went to the cross and died in their place because he's God become flesh. He was fully God and he was fully man. He can be worshiped and he is our friend. He is to be praised and he is closer than a brother. Teach them who Jesus is. Example that for them in in your own life. Let them see that Jesus... Jesus is a big deal to you and love them with the love of Jesus. Love your wives with the love of Jesus and God will bless and honor that. And as he does that, what's going to happen is ultimately, though we're never going to be perfect parents, and we know that, that we're going to fail often. We're not going to be perfect husbands. You're not going to be a perfect single dude, but you're going to recognize that the only power in your life that has any power that's going to be sustaining is the power of Jesus at work in you. Jesus is going to sustain you. Jesus is going to heal you. Jesus is going to bring you back from whatever brink you're standing on coming into this weekend. Jesus is going to restore relationships with your grown kids. Like, trust that he'll do that. If you'll be humble and you'll pursue that. Back to our original text, Proverbs 22, 6. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You're not just investing in a 5-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 19-year-old. You're investing in an 80-year-old grandmother who will be investing a legacy in two generations beyond your life. You're investing in people that you'll never meet. So you need to lead well and lead wise. Lead well, lead wise. It's God's plan for us. As men, he's given us the tools that we need. He's given us the wisdom that we need. He's given us the discernment that we need. So we need to follow him. And do what he's called us to do. Young men, you need to pursue godly wives and know that God's going to raise you up and use you to do great things one day. And all of us can honor the Lord in the way that we do what he's called us, just doing what he's called us to do. Nothing else. We don't have to do, we don't have to do anything he hasn't called us to do. Just be faithful to what he's called us to do. And trust the Lord to honor that. Amen? And invest in the young men and women in your church and your community that don't have anybody doing this. Pick up the slack. You got four, five, six kids. Grab a few more, bring them over, invest in them, start investing in them. For some of you, start fostering, start investing in the community that way. And let's, let's make a difference as godly men. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for an awesome time together. Guys, we close together in a couple songs of worship just to, to go out of this weekend having, having been filled up, encouraged, and blessed to worship together with other brothers. Um, God, I know there's an overwhelming amount of information I know that the weekend could be uh, so encouraging, but also it could be something that's quickly forgotten when we get back to the rat race that we live in. And so I pray that these men would take the things that you've taught them and that they would 
worship you in spirit and in truth and that they would lead well in their homes and in their communities. God, we worship you this morning through song as we close our time together because you're worthy to be praised. We don't sing songs of praise to anyone else. We sing songs of praise to you because you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray that you'd help us to be stronger husbands, better daddies, better friends, more faithful to the communities we live in, and that we make an impact at our jobs and in our, in our, in our world that we live in. We would be a shining light of hope and of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.